Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. And uh, first, let me just start out today by apologizing. We were expecting originally um, Ray Grady to join the show today. And Ray is uh, my former, ready for this, Jazz? Ray Grady was my former AP history teacher in high school. And I don't, I don't even want to make it seem like I'm super smart because, like, I'm like AP history or anything like that. But this guy was everything to me as a teacher, like a mentor. He coached basketball. He was a teacher. He made learning interesting. And he made it fun. And he, and he challenged his students in a, in a really, you know, conducive, productive way. And the last minute he had something come up personally. And he has assured me he will join us in January. But for those of you tuning in for the first time in I Communicate, we're thrilled to have you. And, um, you know, I Communicate is really a show about how to influence people, actions, feelings, thoughts through the cross-section of emotional intelligence and effective communication. And so we walk through a lot of scenarios in the workplace, in parenting, in sports, where you can be an emotionally intelligent communicator. And at Mindset Go, we help leaders all the way from C-suite to supervisor, sales teams, human resources to support habit replacement and behavior change. So if it is your first time joining us, thank you. And uh, we're happy to have you. And today, we're going to talk about a a concept. It's a phrase that I coined. I I just want to alert everybody, it's not even a real phrase. Like I just made this up because... I think it accurately explains, this two-word phrase, I think accurately explains what's happening. And that phrase is reverse influence. And when you think of how you are influenced by other people over the course of a day, a week, whether it's media, whether it's watching TV or listening to the radio, such as WCRN, you listen to how you're influenced I think a lot of people don't realize just how much you are influenced by the outside noise. And I chose reverse influence today because it really talks about a relevant and timely issue in the workplace, which is negativity and how negativity can be really contagious in the workplace. And so if you are a leader who struggles to cope effectively with your stress, with your disappointment, with failed expectations, with frustration, you may be a reverse influencer. And, you know, I talk a lot on the show about modeling behavior. And when you when you choose to be a parent, when you sign up to be a leader, when you choose to coach sports, you're an influencer. You're a modeler of behavior. That's what you signed up for. That's part of it. So, interestingly enough, let's set some foundation here. So, first of all, We've talked on some recent shows about the sphere of influence. And the sphere of influence, just to set some foundation for everybody, has three parts to it. It has what can you control, what is out of your control, and what can you influence. Those are the three pieces of the sphere of influence. So I looked up on, on, on Google today. I said, what, is, what does Google tell us that influence means? And it says, it's the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. I was like, wow, that's a lot of responsibility to have influence 
on the character development or behavior of someone or something. And I was thinking about an example, a very subtle example of influence. And this past Thanksgiving, we had 15 people at my house. My family was there. And one of the things we do at Thanksgiving is we go around the table and we all express what we're grateful for. And I certainly recognize for our listeners that that might not be so novel. You know, many of you may do something like that. But I wanted to influence a different outcome this year because I feel like when we've done it in the past, um, it's been kind of checkbox answers. Like people start out by saying, you know, I'm grateful for my family and friends and food and shelter. And then the kids in my family go, yeah, I'm also grateful for food and shelter. And it just becomes kind of a generic activity. It's the mirroring, right? It's the mirroring, right. But this year, I decided I was going to start it out different. And one of the ways to influence people in commu- with communication is what I call the elephant in the room technique. And the elephant in the room technique is when you're having an interaction and you're pretty sure you're aware of what they're thinking in their own mind. And so you call it out and you address it. So, for instance, the way I used elephant in the room on Thanksgiving was before we started sharing, I said, all right, listen, in the last few years when we've done this, it's like everybody feels obligated to say something. We go around to each person and no one's really putting a lot of thought into it. So I'm asking it to be different this year. Like, let's let's give everybody some space and room to really give a meaningful answer. So I kind of called out what people may be thinking, what they've done in years past. And the beauty of the elephant in the room technique is if I'm wrong and no one's thinking that, it doesn't harm anything, right? So if you weren't thinking that, you're like, okay, good. That doesn't apply to me. So we go around the room in a share and we're talking about my 78-year-old mother. Sorry to say your age, mom. 78-year-old mother all the way down to my 12-year-old niece. And I got to tell you, three of the kids in our family had profound shares that they, they haven't had in past years. And many of the kids in my family said to my mother when they were leaving on Thanksgiving that how much this was the most meaningful Thanksgiving that they've ever had. So here's my point. It wasn't just the elephant in the room that influenced the communication. I modeled it from the start, right? I set the wheels in motion by giving a share that was thoughtful, that was meaningful. Again, like I said earlier, it's your modeling behavior. And so when I think of influencing situations, that's one thing. Here's a very subtle example of how you can influence communication. You can normalize something that may not be seen as normal. So, for instance, if you're sitting in a meeting in your office and all of a sudden you decide you want to start asking people for feedback about how you run meetings, well, if they're not used to giving you feedback and being vulnerable, it's probably not going to feel safe for them just to open up and say, oh, well, let me tell you, I'll tell you how you could improve the meeting. You could do blank, blank, and blank. So when you normalize behavior, you give people permission to do it. You let them know it's okay. You're looking for the constructive feedback. And when you normalize behavior, it creates, um, again, you're setting a tone of comfort. And we use a term often in business called psychological safety, And psychological safety is just a fancy way of saying, make people feel comfortable to speak their truth and say what's on their mind. So when you normalize that behavior, it's easy. One of the things that I often hear when it comes to giving feedback in the workplace is when a leader tells me they're not comfortable giving feedback, the first question I ask them is, 
Well, when you do talk to them, what do those conversations look like? In other words, if the only time you're ever talking to someone is to give them critical feedback or constructive feedback, that's that's the nor- normal normalcy you've created because now every time they see you company, coming, they expect you to give them some kind of constructive and critical feedback. So when it comes to giving feedback, you know, what you can do to influence the behavior is you can be having conversations with them besides just criticizing them or telling them how do they be better. You can ask them about their family. You can ask them how they're feeling about the opportunities at their job. You can give them positive feedback. I mean, so there's lots of ways to do it. But this show today is going to be is going to be on how to avoid reverse influence. Because frankly, and I want you to think about this going into break, frankly, most people aren't even aware that they are a negative influencer because they're so entrenched in the habits of not having boundaries of communication that they just say negative things and they don't even realize why they're doing it and the impact it's having. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to talk about how to become aware that you're being a reverse influencer and what you can do about it. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we're talking about reverse influence, and let's get right into this. So, you know, we're going to tee this up with employee engagement assessments. So a lot of companies around this time of year or in the beginning of the new upcoming new year, they will give employee engagement assessments. They want to understand it's 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 an employee satisfaction tool. You know, am I happy? Is the employee happy with their job, their boss, their compensation? There's a whole host of questions. I mean, these assessments can be brief and they can be long depending how you do it. So this is an opportunity to influence the people that work for you. And the way you're influencing it is you're asking them for feedback. You're saying, look, I care. I want to know. I want to understand what you're thinking, why you're thinking it, what you want to be different. And so this is an opportunity to empower people to share. Now, understand the premise behind this is that people are comfortable sharing, right? Because there's an assumption there. And a lot of companies will say, well, we'll make it anonymous. But even when you make it anonymous, there's still a trust factor that people will believe it's anonymous. But with that said, this is an opportunity to influence by empowering people to give feedback. The problem is many of the companies that I see who utilize assessments as a tool for gauging feedback is there's no follow-up. So they get the feedback and then they kind of review it and take a look at the data, but there's not any real changes that take place as a result of the feedback or the changes aren't even communicated or it's not even told that the feedback was even looked at in the first place. And so that becomes a reverse influence situation. You took something like an assessment or a feedback tool with the intention of influencing people to say you care, and then when you don't do anything at all or substantial with the data or the feedback, now people are even more unhappy because they feel like, why did I waste my time? So that is an example of taking a situation that could positively influence results and reverse and have more of a negative impact. Now, look, there's two kinds of categories in the workplace to be frustrated about. 
I mean, there's opportunities to be frustrated all the time at work. And we're going to call them the fixed opportunities, which are things like your work environment, limitations of your job, your compensation. And when I say limitations of your job, I'm talking about things like opportunities to advance, take on new challenges. And so if you are frustrated at the things that you see as fixed, it can breed resentment. If you're internalizing those things and choosing not to do anything about it, it can start to create a negative resigned mindset. And that's only one layer. There's a second layer, and that are what I would call recurring things to be frustrated about in the workplace, such as a policy or workplace change you don't agree with, how others are being treated, that you're frustrated that people don't seem to listen to you and aren't addressing your wants and needs. And the biggest one that is all over the place is poor relationships with individuals in the workplace. I've talked in the past about bi-directional communication, and what I mean by that is managing up. Like, do you have a good relationship with your boss? And do you value that relationship? Are there things that frustrate you? Do you have a good relationship with your peers at the same level of leadership within the organization? And if you're managing a team, are there people on your team that frustrate you and disappoint you and get under your skin? Well, I think we can all agree that there's a good chance Not 100% of the time by any stretch, but there's a good chance someone in your organization, whether it's above you, alongside you, or below you from a hierarchy perspective, frustrate you, trigger you, and create a mindset that isn't optimal for your happiness. And so the question is, what do you do with that? When you become, and Jasmine, let me ask you this. I'm sure, I mean, working for Ted and Chris, I mean, there can never be anything to be upset at, I'm sure. But no, in all, all seriousness, Jasmine, when you are working at any job you've had and you become frustrated at someone or something, everybody, I think, has a level of expectation that there's going to be that. But can you think of a situation where it became too much for you? And then when it gets to be like, yeah, it's bothering me a little more than I'm just going to let it go now. And what do you do in situations like that? Oh, I've, I've always found those situations wicked hard. So I've been a home healthy pretty much my whole life. I started doing that when I was 16 years old. And there's definitely been situations where either like I don't get along with the client that I'm supposed to be taking care of and I'm supposed to be doing all these things for this person and they're just not someone that I can appreciate at all and you kind of just have to like work with it the best you can but you will get to that breaking point occasionally and you either have to have that hard conversation with the person of okay well if you want me to continue working for you you need to make these changes or you need to help me in this way or you need to somehow work with me and communicate with me so that I can continue to do this. Right. So that the biggest thing that Jazz said there is having the hard conversation. And people often relegate themselves to two choices. So when you are struggling to cope with your frustration, it's often, do I let it go or do I say something? Like those are the two choices. But there really is a third choice. It's not always as black and white because I've talked about this on the show before. If you think you're letting it go, are you really letting it go internally? Because saying, yeah, I'm not going to say anything doesn't mean you've let it go. So here's the challenge, right? 
we're talking about a word that scares people, and I'm going to call out the elephant in the room. The word is coping. And, you know, people want to call the word coping related to people who are diagnosed with depression or anxiety or have some mental health issue. So, but Jazz, this is what I meant when I said in the first segment about normalizing something. So you remember how I said psychological safety, and let me put, let me put it in different words so people become more comfortable with it. So not psychological safety makes someone comfortable. Not emotional intelligence being thoughtful about what you want to say and how you want to respond. And when we're talking about the word coping, people hear that. And I think there's a default reaction for a lot of people like coping. What the heck is this show about? What do you mean coping? I don't, I don't need to cope. I don't have a problem. But it's a hard word for people to wrap their heads around that it's relevant to them. Well, I think most of people take it as, oh, I'm triggered and I have to cope with this mm. instead of, you know, I'm learning how to adjust and adapt to my situation. Yeah. And, and, and so coping, let me put this in very simple terms because I want our listeners to be thinking about this. So if I said to you, and I want to use Jasmine's example she just said, if someone frustrates you or pisses you off, or annoys you in the workplace, and you're self-aware enough, you're mindful enough to sense that you're angry, you've been thrown off your game, you're just not happy, what do you do to put yourself back in a good place again? Because I don't know about you, I mean, for me, depending on the situational aspect of what we're talking about, like I don't just go, I don't become angry with someone and go, ah, you know what, no big deal. I'm just like in a second later. I mean, there's some steps I need to go through to disrupt my thought process. So I want to share an example I had with a client this week because I thought it was really profound and it really speaks to what we're covering on the show today. So I asked this person, I said, when you are so frustrated with the company or organization you're working for and you feel like, remember what I said about sphere of influence, you've convinced yourself you only have two choices you can say something or not say something, and you don't know what to do with your frustration because that's what we're talking about. When you're sitting around a water cooler, okay, and let's say the people here work here at WCRN, Jasmine says, she would never say this, but Jasmine says, oh, God, I'm so annoyed with this place. You know, I feel like, I feel like they don't appreciate me. I feel like they don't really value the work I do. Now, I want everybody to stop for a minute. When Jasmine says that, if she were to say that to a couple of people who work here at the water cooler, there's a big opportunity now for the other two people in that conversation. A big opportunity for them to recognize that Jasmine's being a reverse influencer and what do they want to do about it. Okay, because again, you have choices. If you're the receiver of that communication... The way I see it is, and people who've worked with me at Mindset Go in a training capacity or a coaching capacity, you've heard me say this. Most of the time in life, people see two choices and there's almost always three choices. So you're in that conversation with Jasmine. You can either say, oh my God, Jasmine, I totally agree. Doesn't this place suck? And for the person who says that, opts for that choice, I believe, Jazz. One of the reasons they're opting for that choice is because they want to validate you. 
Right. They want to feel your sympathy. Right. They, the they, empathy. They're just being supportive. In their mind, they're being supportive. So there's, there's other reasons, but let's focus on that. Choice number two is you could abstain. You could say nothing. And you, I understand, Jess. Yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. You could just do that. But this third choice, Jazz, is the toughest to select because I call it being a positive dissenter, right? So now, how can, how can per, a person validate and hear Jazz for where she's at, but also not be a reverse influence and jump on board? My thing is I always go to the questions. Why are you feeling that way? What is making, what is- Love it. Yeah, why are, what is this feeling coming from? One of the most powerful things I teach in communication is when in doubt of not sure what to say, choose a question and not a statement. It, I mean, it will almost work flawlessly all of the time. So Jazz, in addition to suggesting that as a good solution, she also buys herself some time to formulate some thoughts on how she wants to handle it, right? Exactly. Actually, I run into this all the time with my other job. I'm an Amazon delivery driver, and there's probably about 40 other people that work there with me. And I can't tell you how often there is someone complaining. Wow. This is awful. I don't want to do this. I have too many stops. I'm in an area I don't like. Mm. You know, all the different things. And I just kind of look at them, and I'm like, is it really that bad? <laughs> Are you really that upset about it? Is th- well, yeah. And Jez, you know what would be another great question there to me is, sounds like you're really unhappy with this job. Why do you work here? Right? Because because again, exactly. see, there's part of this reverse influence thing is recognizing that the way to influence people's thinking is to disrupt their thought process. Mm-hmm. You can confirm their thought process or you can disrupt their thought process. A reverse influencer confirms it. And you know what the ultimate problem with that first scenario I pointed out? That person who says to Jazz, right, isn't this, yeah, you're right, this this really sucks, this place. They don't know, now that Jazz has been validated and confirmed, they don't know what Jazz is going to do with that information now. Because Jazz may have been on the fence of doing something drastic, quitting her job or whatever. And because you in that moment said, yeah, I know this place sucks, not only could it take, it could cause Jasmine to leave her job, it could also make her become angrier and in a more way, in a, in a, in a more powerful way, negatively influence the environment. Because now that she's got riled and fueled up, now maybe she goes to more people and starts talking about right. it. Right, and then everybody else kind of perpetuates it of, oh, you know, I don't like this either, and oh, that, and you're literally just causing the negative energy to spread and spread. Well, I love what you just said, Jazz, because what we're talking about, that word perpetuate, you'll often hear people say, I am in a toxic work environment. Well, I would say to you, are you a part of it? You know, and if you're not, if you're sitting there saying, no, I, I don't take part in that, you know, then you, you not only cannot take part in it, but you could also influence it more positively, like that third choice. I have a teacher friend, Jazz, who I was speaking to about this the other day. And I said to her, I said, you know, I know there's like a stereotype or stigma around teachers sitting around the lunchroom at lunch ragging on students, you know, ragging on things like that. And I said, you know, so 
I mean, I think a lot of people just assume that's what takes place in schools. And I'm sure in some, perhaps many schools, it does. So I said, have you been a part of that? And what do you do if you were in that situation? And this is what she said. Her answer was really profound. She said, Mark, I, I don't choose to participate, so I excuse myself from that environment. However, she said, I recognize that that environment, a lunchroom with teachers in the lounge, is not going to be my best chance to influence people. So instead of trying to influence that particular environment, I wait till we have meetings with the principal and small group meetings, and I choose to positively influence in those because there's more of a, um, it, it, I don't, she didn't say it's more of a safe environment, but it's more of a controlled environment to be well, able to do that. It's more of a chance of being heard. Yes. Right? At the end of the day, it's more likely that she's going to be interpreted in the correct way and actually brought in as positive energy instead of being looked at as, oh, okay, she just wants to be upset with us because we're having our own conversation or right. whatever. You right, know? exactly. So, you know, um, the last thing I want to say before we head into break is, look, again, three choices. You can, to summarize, you can jump on the bandwagon and be negative. You can abstain and say nothing. Or you can choose to positively influence the situation. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to get into why so many people struggle to choose the positive dissenter role and what gets in the way of that. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about reverse influence toxic work environments, and how to be a positive dissenter. So here's the thing, right? You are choosing to be a positive dissenter. And there's a word, there's a, a, a pair of words that's being used very commonly now, and that is allyship. And what we're really talking about, I'm going to take a different spin on allyship, but we're talking about because allyship is often used around diversity But in the purpose of today's show, we're talking about being an ally versus a critic. And, you know, the hard part is that I see jazz in a lot of environments and leadership is if you're not a C-suite leader and you're a director leader, the C-suite is going to make decisions that you don't agree with all the time. And frankly, decisions that may even adversely affect you personally. And so the question is, Can you discern between your role in that moment? Because in that moment, if you know a decision by senior leadership either adversely affects you, adversely affects your team, or even adversely affects other departments in the organization, what are you going to do about it? So now your team comes up to you and says, hey, so uh, Jennifer, what do you think about this decision senior leadership just made? And in that moment... And I find so many leaders I work with struggle with this. They want to be authentic, right? Because they don't want to say it's okay if they don't believe it's okay. But they also don't want to be a reverse influencer. So here's what it comes down to. If you don't believe in a decision from the top of the food chain in the organization, and you now have to carry forward that decision, it's cascading messages, right? As we go down the organization, 
You have to carry forward. You have to be an ally to those messages, not a critic to those messages. Well, you can have your cake and eat it too. So if someone asked me about a decision I didn't believe in, I might say something like, to be honest, you know, when I first heard it, I wasn't a big fan. However, I've been reflecting on why they may have made that decision and how it could potentially help us. And I may help reframe it to the person I'm talking to. So by saying that you weren't a fan of the decision, that's fine. You can speak your truth. You don't have to feel bad about not agreeing with the decision. But part of your job as a leader, as a parent, as a coach, is to help reframe it for people so they can maybe see it as a room for an opportunity instead of a change, right? And how are you helping guide that conversation so they say, well, you know what, at least, you know, I'm not a fan of this part, but at least it will help us with this. Or the best leaders don't do that. The best leaders say, yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. Have you given any thought to why this might be good for the organization? And you pose it as a question. That's really what the best leaders do. So, look, being an ally versus a critic takes discipline. It takes commitment. It requires emotional intelligence because you have to be self-aware of your feelings around a decision and how you now want to influence the people around you regarding that decision. And that's a lot of responsibility. Look, if you've ever played on a sports team, Jazz, I know, you played volleyball, if I'm remembering? No. Football. 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 (laughs) I love that. So, Jazz, we've talked about this on a previous episode, right? So, you, in that locker room, and, and I don't care whether you're the captain of the team or not, it doesn't matter. No. So, think about, I bet... 80 to 90% of our listeners, if not more, have either played sports at one point in their life or have a child that may have played sports at one point in their life, okay? So, Jazz, you, you live this. You know it. So you're in the locker room. The team's lost three in a row, and so everybody's hanging their head, mm-hmm. right? So isn't when we talk about reverse influence, Jazz, it's the difference between – Everybody hanging their head and being negative about where we are. Yeah, we just can't do anything right where you could jump on that bandwagon. I go, I know. I know this is awful. Or what would you say, Jess? I'd say, what can we do to improve? What are we doing wrong? Why, you know, what is, is it we're missing passes? Is it we're not huddling and doing the right plays, getting the right, you know? All right, now watch this, Jess. Everybody who heard what Jazz said, it, there's nothing wrong with that answer. Like, that's a good answer. But watch this. Now we're getting into what gets in the way of being a positive dissenter. Because everybody's hanging their heads in that locker room. And Jasmine is going to risk being, and I, I mean risk, risk being a positive dissenter. Now, let's say the coach is there, okay? People in that locker room, when Jasmine says what you said, they could think brown noser just trying to get more playing time, they could think, whatever. You know, like, typical, you know, you don't see what we see, whatever. In that moment, when Jasmine tries to find a positive outlook, a growth mindset, um, an, you know, a, a, an optimistic view, there's risk because there's a good chance some or all of those people aren't going to receive her feedback. And that's what's challenging about being a positive dissenter with reverse influence. The enormous hurdle 
You have to get over, and what we're talking about today is awareness of your feelings and what you're saying. And I mean saying in a written form, verbal form, nonverbal form. So the first thing is you can't, you can't stop being a reverse influencer unless you're self-aware of what you're saying, how it's coming across body language, and when you're writing. So in that situation we're describing with Jazz, she would have to, in that moment, stop herself from being sucked into the negative. Decide how she wants to respond to the situation instead of react. And then, assuming she's checked off all those boxes, she would have to be brave and courageous enough. And, and, and I'm not exaggerating that. She would have to be brave and courageous enough to say, come on, guys, listen. Yeah, we've, we've lost a few games in a row, but here's what I'm seeing. You know, we fought to the end. The last two games, we got blown out. This game... We fought to the bitter end. We showed we had some fight. We hadn't showed fight up until this point. We're getting more contributions from more people. And the difference is, listeners, is, and this is the ultimate aspect of influence. When Jazz says in that moment, if she has the courageous to say, courage to say, you know, come on, guys, and she just says it as kind of a generic comment, like pick our head up, that doesn't probably not going to do anything. But if she says what I just said, you know, you know, we showed some fight, we have more contributors, and she gives some tangible whys of why things are better, people may listen to that. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about being a positive dissenter. And for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to our final segment of I Communicate. We're talking about reverse influence, and we were just talking about being a positive dissenter, but I want to bring everything full circle in our final segment today. I, I brought up coping skills, and we really didn't get into that enough to, to tie this into the show today. So this specific person I'm dealing with, I asked them, you know, what do you do when you get in those moments where the people, the job, the environment... Um, are getting too much for you. And so the person said, these are the four, she listed off four things she does. I mean, this is really impressive. She said, I remind myself about the things I do like about the job and the company. I remind myself about the interactions I have with our customers that are so meaningful and make me love the job. I tell myself it has to get better eventually. And that she also reminds herself that there are some unique opportunities she has at this job that she may not have in other situations. And after sharing those coping things, I said to her, are there times when you are able to abstain and not be a negative influencer, but there are times when you are a negative influencer? And she goes, there are. And I said, what are the differences there? Like, why is it sometimes, and I know a lot of you listening may be saying, well, it depends how bad the situation is and how bad the relationship with the person is, and I get that. But what I was really saying, can you discern between the times you are able to have boundaries around reverse influence and you're able to cope and the times where you just get a little boundaryless and start to become a reverse influencer? And she said, I can't. And I said, here's the thing. When you get in that mode where you're sharing with people your feelings of being upset, disappointed, and frustrated, in that moment, you may as well hold up a sign 
saying, in that situation, I can't cope. So because I can't cope, I'm just going to vent. And by the way, here's the thing. I, I, look, having a support system or support systems in your life that you can collaborate with, commiserate with, yes, I'm not speaking ill against that. But the question becomes, if you are in a leadership position of some kind, right, and you don't recognize that you're having a reverse negative influence effect, you're doing a lot of damage in the behavior you're modeling. And I had a guest on the show uh, a few weeks back, Robert Bush, who's a sales executive with Connection. And he said, look, at when you're a leader, you can't really afford to take a day off. And what he meant when he said can't afford to take a day off is be committed to an emotionally intelligent mindset and know that you have to be mindful that when you catch yourself being pushed too far and feeling like you have the need to vent and be negative to the people around you, you're contributing to a toxic work environment. And in that moment, you have to recognize what other options you have. And, and by the way, one of the options I hear people say is when they are frustrated at work, they vent to people outside of work, their friends, their family. They don't do it with people at work because of the consequences of being a reverse influencer. So it's, it's a mindset of you have choices. Are you aware that your ability to cope with this situation has been compromised? that you've been pushed too far, your frustration level has reached a point either that day, that week, that month, that you're looking for an outlet. Because that's what we're talking about. You need an outlet to express your frustration. Well, when you need an outlet, what outlet is the best outlet? What is the best way? Emotional intelligence. One of the ingredients is self-management, managing yourself. How do I want to respond to people, to situations, as opposed to react. Well, also figuring out what those triggers are that you have that are causing you to feel those emotions. I feel like a lot of people don't dig into why they're so upset in the first place. A lot of times it doesn't even have to do with the situation at hand. It has to do with something in the past, and it's just the way someone said something or the way that they reacted to something brought up those feelings again, and now you're triggered about that when there's really no need. Well, and here's the thing, Jazz. You're right. The challenge is the triggers are huge. Knowing your triggers and knowing how you want to respond to those are huge. The challenge people have is a lot of people, even if they know their triggers, they become resigned to their environment. So, again, you know, knowing that triggers is a good first step and good piece to this, but you have to recognize that you are not resigned to a fate. Look, I know certain people have jobs where they just don't have a choice. They've got to make money for their family. But remember, if you resign yourself to the fact that you're stuck in a job, what you're really saying is you lack the belief and confidence that you could get a comparable job, right? Because it's one thing to say, look, and I'm going to use probably a terrible example, but you know, if, if you work at McDonald's and your boss is very hostile, and your work environment's toxic, there's a good chance you could get a job at another fast food restaurant. Not a guarantee. But if you don't believe you can do anything about your situation and you're resigned, then the question is why? Are, are you telling the truth to yourself? Are you really stuck? 
Do you really have nothing that you can control or influence to make this situation better? And when you get in that reverse influence mode where you need an outlet because you've lost your ability to cope, it's pushed you too far, could you do something about it? And I don't mean do something about it, the specific situation. Could you do something at a much higher level to solve a problem, the root problem of your trigger and of your frustration, right? Maybe you're struggling with the amount of expectations around your workload or your remote work environment. So if you continue to get frustrated about that and you lose your ability to cope and need an outlet, maybe, as Jazz said earlier, maybe it's time for a difficult conversation to address the high-level problem. And, and by the way, next week's show, what we're going to talk about, it's going to be an extension of this. We're going to talk about when you do we, today we've been talking about being a positive dissenter related to reverse influence. But next week what we're going to talk about is being an advocate and what it looks like to be an advocate. And so when you choose to advocate for yourself, we're going to talk about what are some expectations you would have when you choose to advocate for yourself. What are the outcomes you want to need to happen to take on that risk? So look, coping starts with having some systems in place. This is why we talk about habits are replaced and not change. If right now, when you get triggered by a certain behavior in the workplace, if you just say, yeah, I'm going to just stop doing that, uh, that's probably not going to work. If you say, you know what, instead of reacting this way, I'm going to use this coping tool. I'm going to use this mindfulness technique. I'm going to respond this way. That's an effective alternative. But just to stop on a dime and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. How many people do you know in your life that have changed a habit because they said, you know what, I'm just going to stop this tomorrow. And I don't really know how, but yep, I'm just going to stop it. That's hard. That is not a common strategy that is effective. Breaking a habit is not easy. So just in summary for the show today, what I want you to take away from this show today Our three final thoughts. Number one, I want you to create some awareness for yourself if you are a reverse influencer. Ask yourself, hey, am I one of these people that is negatively impacting the work environment? That's number one. Number two, if you are, ask yourself, why? Is it because I don't have good coping tools in place when I need an outlet and I've, I've been worn out with my boundaries? Or is it because you need to have a conversation, a higher level conversation that can maybe address and you can recognize what you can control in the situation, right? And what you can influence in the situation. And last but not least, if you are in a position of leadership, a music teacher, a a sports coach, a parent, you you signed up to model behavior. You are influencing the people around you. It goes with the territory. Embrace that role. Accept that role and understand how you need to act differently so you're not a reverse influencer. So for I Communicate, Jazz, thanks again for everything, for contributions and production. And um, so for I Communicate, I am Mark Altman, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.